Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. Which you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens... War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome to the War Room. It's Friday, August the 7th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Broadcasting live from Capitol Hill, Jack Maxey, Raheem Kassam, Vish Bora, the whole War Room team here in Washington, D.C., joined down the line by Stephen K. Bannon. want to thank our broadcast partners, the America's Voice News, the uh, Newsmax TV, uh, the uh, G News and GTV, who take this show, subtitle it in Mandarin, and blow it through the CCP's firewall. And of course, the John Fredericks Radio Network. Got a lot to cover this morning. Episode 321 starts now with Larry Lindsay, CEO of the Lindsay Group, and Stephen K. Bannon. Steve, over to you. Yeah, there's so much going on where you get into today. Hydroxy, talk about the special tomorrow. The President Trump dropping the hammer on, uh, on the CCP and their technology uh, war against the United States. Uh, we're also going to talk about the NRA later. Bombs going off everywhere across the uh, across the globe on uh, on both economic uh, institutional and uh and tech uh, warfare I want to bring in larry lindsay i think one of the smartest guys in, in town a uh, president chairman of the lindsay group former uh, head of the national economic council in the white house under the bush administration larry let's talk about this the the uh unemployment number today the jobs increase your perspective and also where do you think we stand overall with the uh the the economy's uh, rebound well, thanks. It's great to be here, Steve. You know, the consensus was beaten uh, easily by this morning's number. I think that shows that uh, despite a lot of worries that we've had recently, the economy continues on, on very, very solid footing. Uh, we've now made up more than half of our um, wage losses, which is a good indication of, of what's actually happening economy-wise. Um, we're now just 3% uh, below where we were last July, which is remarkably fast given the depth of what happened. So I think we should view today's number quite optimistically. What, what do you attribute that to? There's been all this kind of fits and starts about opening, not opening. We, we know hydroxy has not been approved yet for emergency uh, use. We got all these issues with the with the schools, all of that. Where where do you think we stand actually with reopening the economy? Because these jobs numbers look look pretty uh, pretty strong. They look very strong. I think the economy fundamentally is strong. I think that um, some of the uh, slowing down of the process of reopening uh, had slowed down job gains a little bit. Uh, we had been running at four million. Now there are, of course, fewer people to add back on, so we're we're down to just under two million. But that's still a very, very solid pace. Um, I I rarely praise government, Steve, as you know. Uh, 
But I have to say that the economic reaction of government here has been a major cause of this rapid recovery. Um, those $1,200 checks that went out were very, very helpful. Um, the public is able to spend despite um, what uh, what has happened to uh, the loss of, of, of wages temporarily. Um, and um, I am hopeful that the Congress will give us one more shot uh, to continue this process through the end of the year. Uh, if they do, we have a chance of ending the year back where we were at the end of 2019. Now, granted, that's not forward progress, but, but having made up for the loss that quickly is something we should be proud of. Oh, my gosh. I mean, if you that in and of itself, given this pandemic, given what the CCP has done, I, I think it would be breathtaking, to be honest with you. What, what a hole to dig yourself out of. Look, you're a unique in that you both understand kind of the Trump economic agenda, and you've obviously worked in the Bush administration. You know the, the, the way that the Republican Party think, and particularly the guys in economic policy who make things happen. Where do you think we are right now? It's very confusing, kind of the fog of war here up on Capitol Hill. Where does Larry Lindsay think we really stand between what's the bid and the ask on actually getting something done on this fourth relief package? Well, um, I think that uh, Speaker Pelosi and the Minority Leader Schumer have figured out that what's bad for the economy is good for them. And so uh, Pelosi, for example, simply refused to negotiate. So it's just fine with her if no package goes through. She'll increase her majority, and, and Schumer may end up with, you know, 56 or 57 seats if we don't keep this economy going. What is stunning to me is the number of Republicans who don't get what the Democrats plainly do. And so uh, I think there's a lot of waste in what Pelosi proposed, and I think it should be slimmed down quite a bit. But I certainly think that a bill that includes um, some kind of extension of the unemployment benefits, $1,200 checks, which takes care of individuals, um, liability reform, which I think is very important, and then the speaker wants lots and lots of money for uh, states, and maybe that's the price we have to pay in order to get more sensible things through. Look, look, you, you're saying something that I've said from day one. She's going to try to bleed President Trump out. She has no incentive at all to, to, to work with them to get some sort of bill done. Unless there's, and I think there's a very low probability you can pin uh, their recalcitrance on them. I just don't think the media is going to let that happen. She's got all the cards. She's got all the leverage. Do you think what Steve Moore and others have talked about and some of the smartest legal minds around that you actually start drafting executive orders or, or is it with look you've headed the nec you've been in the room do you believe the president has the executive authority to start pushing some of these things forward if nothing more than a hard bargaining chip to, to try to break this logjam because otherwise i agree with you everybody's gone home now people should know in the audience the senate's gone home i think the house has all gone home uh i mean they're not guys doing 24-hour meetings here and I believe Nancy Pelosi thinks, hey, I'm just going to sit here and bleed Trump, you know, talk happy talk. And we're all for working class people, and everything like that. But try to bleed the president out over the next couple of weeks as she sees this recovery starting. I think the cold uh, political calculus 
is that they want the they want the White House and the Senate. They want to run the tables here, and they see the ability to do it in this in this stimulus package. Am I wrong? And do you think this executive orders alternative is something that you would recommend? Do you think something the president actually use to try to break this logjam? Because going up there, you know, Mnuchin and, and and Mark Meadows have been up there for ten or twelve meetings. I think we're beyond meetings now. Everybody's gone home. That's the optics of 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 what the Democrats think about this. Well, yeah, I think that the signal, which I thought was a little bit surprising, that they don't give a damn about the people in trouble, was that they uh, refused even a temporary extension of the $600 a week uh, unemployment comp uh, thing, which they'd been demanding. Those are the people who are probably in the most trouble, and yet uh, Pelosi and Schumer don't seem to care about it. Well, I, you know, I get it. They're smart. They know very well that no package is good for them politically. I think it's extremely cynical, um, but uh, hey, that's the way they are. Um, as uh, as uh, to executive orders, executive orders maybe are a Band-Aid. Uh, one thing the president could do, for example, is delay the date at which payroll taxes are due. And that gives a little help to the cash flow, particularly for businesses. The payroll taxes still are due. So it's not on balance an incentive for the economy. Um, companies, we're just going to have to salt away that extra cash flow because it's going to be due in January or whatever date um, the executive order stipulates. So I, I so, think, so, you know, it, it's, not, it's better than nothing, but it's not a lot better than nothing. But, but, but you agree with Steve Moore on that. You think the president's got the full authority to delay to delay the uh, the 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 tax uh, the payroll tax into January, and then maybe d- deciding what he does then uh, after he's reelected. Uh, but you you think he's got the authority to do that, and you would recommend he does that? I don't know. I don't know what I would recommend on that. Um, I believe that the Treasury always has control over the timing of tax payments, um, and uh, they can do it by regulation. Um, whether they choose to do so or not, I think is up to them. Again, I think it's of a little benefit, but this is not a magic wand. What we really need is for Congress to step up and continue to help the American people and therefore continue to help this this expansion. And, um, you know, that's where the pressure has to be. And, you know, I, I do wish the media would be honest here about what's going on. They're not, of course, but uh, it is remarkable just how cynical uh, the Democratic leadership is about uh, helping people. Larry, one thing has kind of gotten lost here. You know, we try to do tomorrow's headlines today and, and get people to focus on the signal, not the noise. Is this issue about liability? You know, we have continued to push on this show that to really reopen the economy and to get back to those 2019 numbers and obviously continue this expansion uh, like we were on track late last year or early January before the CCP virus hit. You've got to have both some sort of therapeutic or some sort of prophylactic like hydroxychloroquine. And on the economic side, you've got to have this liabilities issue worked out. What, what do you, what's your thing about that? It seems to me that one of the most fundamental and important parts of this package has kind of been put off to the side. And to me, it's absolutely, and maybe I'm missing it, but I don't. until you get the liability insurance issue uh, worked out, I don't know how you're going to be able to get back to a full, thriving economy. Are we missing it here, or do you think that issue is as fundamental as we do? I think it's, I think it's fundamental. Um, 
you know, so far people are acting in good faith. Um, I don't think it would be accurate to say that the plaintiff's bar necessarily acts in good faith or acts in the public's interest. That's not their job. Um, and, you know, the ambulance chasers are going to come out and somebody gets sick. Who knows where they got sick, but they're going to find some deep pocket they can sue. And, um, you know, it could be a hospital. Uh, it could be a school. It could be a business. It could be just about anybody. Whoever they can, they think they can go after, they will. And, you know, it's really wrong to be doing that. If institutions, um, nonprofits, for-profits, whatever, governments, um, if they follow the rules that have been prescribed and do a good faith effort here, then there's, it's just wrong for them to be sued if someone happens to get sick. How on earth can they prove where the person got, got sick? And I think there should be a, as it was in the Senate bill that Senator McConnell proposed, as long as people act in good faith, they shouldn't be subject to being sued. Steve, you have 90 seconds. Last question. We've got about a minute and a half. Yeah, Larry, 90 seconds. What If you were talking to the president today in the Oval, what would you tell him he should do regarding this bill? What would be your, uh, what would be your recommendations? Well, first, I think he has to be loud and clear about the, of who has stopped the negotiations. He's got to use his bully pulpit um, to say, Congress, get back to work. That's first and foremost. Second, he should signal that, you know, he's very willing to compromise. He's willing to accept the, uh, the $600 a week, for example, as long as a bill is passed that does other things, um, even though it has some problems to it. He's, he is willing to compromise, I believe, and he should signal that. Larry, thank you so much. We'll get your Twitter handle and all access to you up there. One of the smartest guys around, Larry Lindsay, chairman, CEO of the Lindsay Group. Uh, former head of the NEC. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Well, Steve. Uh, Raheem, back, back to you. Let's make sure we get all the people and get access to Yep. Well, we have, uh, we have lots of breaking news coming out right now. Um, the British government looking at removing thousands of coronavirus deaths from their death toll. BBC News reporting that hydroxychloroquine is being discarded prematurely, according to scientists. And latest breaking news, the U.S. is poised to sanction Hong Kong's Carrie Lam on the crackdown that we've seen in Hong Kong. We'll bring you all that breaking news and more with Jack Maxey, Raheem Kassam, Stephen K. Bannon, and a whole host of great guests over the course of the program. See you in just a second. with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to the War Room. It's Friday, August the 7th, 2020. Jack Maxey, Raheem Kassam here on Capitol Hill. Over to Stephen K. Bannon. Hey, just heard from Larry Lindsay, one of the smartest guys in Washington about the economy, about the... Uh, the, the return of the economy. He talked about, hey, if things go right, we could actually maybe by the end of this year be back to where we were in 2019. The folks on Alita Stewart are entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur, you need every tool in your toolbox, and the tool you need most is NetSuite by Oracle. Remember, Oracle's number one in the cloud. NetSuite's number one for entrepreneurs. Go to netsuite.com 
slash Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N today to get the seven action steps every entrepreneur should be taking. Back to you, Raheem, for breaking news. Yeah, the breaking news, literally just minutes ago, we're starting to learn of a new wave of sanctions the Trump administration is considering. Uh, this is from Bloomberg.com, and it's also reported, I believe, on the South China Morning Post, the U.S. poised to sanction Hong Kong's Carrie Lam. The Trump administration is posed to employ sanctions on Chinese officials and their allies in Hong Kong, including the Hong Kong chief executive Carrie Lam, as soon as Friday over their role in curtailing political freedoms in the former UK colony. That's according to three people familiar with the matter, ostensibly in the Trump administration. The measures would also, Bloomberg reports, target Communist Party officials, according to two of the people. All of the people spoke on the condition of anonymity. Gentlemen? Yeah, I think we're seeing it. Uh, Jack, I know you're going to jump in here in a second with some more uh, breaking news in China. But I got to tell you, I think you're seeing it. You're seeing all the polling is the American people are now more united than ever about holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable across the board. You've seen the Trump administration. We're going to get into the whole tech part of it. Uh, in the next segment. But uh, I think this sanctions of individuals, look, Carrie Lam is fine for our audience. She's the person, the elected official that kind of runs, or I guess the designated official that kind of runs Hong Kong. But what we need is the sanctions of really who brought this down, who brought the national security bill down. And that is the leadership, the cadre up in Beijing. We need Wai Shi Shan, General Secretary Xi, and the rest of his henchmen. We need those guys sanctioned. So it's a start just like tech is a start, just like some of these uh, discussions on uh, other e economic warfare aspects are all a good start. Directionally, it's all great. Now the hammer just has to come down and it has to come down now. And that's why we're so proud to push this every day uh, to kind of enlighten everybody uh, about, what's, about what's going on. And for the Bernie people out there, the economic nationalists, you really ought to start paying attention to what the Trump administration is doing about holding the CCP accountable remember it's the chinese communist party in their business partners in the financial capitals of the world international corporations in what i call the party of davos which is the world economic forum all of those devils that's the business model that's really stripped working people of uh, really their their own wealth creation and for all the economic nationals out there in the in the bernie movement just understand you're getting sold out by joe biden joe biden's a total globalist they got no room for you you've been offered no positions there, there's no discussion about what bernie's uh you know position bernie's sitting there going oh it's the most progressive we're ever going to have right now you have nothing absolutely totally zero and bernie's a great guy but he's a pie he's way too soft to negotiate this and that's why if you look at the actions of the trump administration and these increasing actions they very much fall in line with economic nationalism. And I think the uh, Bernie people ought to really give another, a very serious look to what's going on here. Jack, I know you've got, uh, you've got more news coming out of China. Well, there's another headline in the South China Morning Post saying that China's food security, there's no crisis, but supply risks are growing as farmers hoard grain. Now, you know, we've been speaking about this for probably over two months, this potential for famine in China. We also spoke two weeks ago with Miles Guo about China declared that they had the best spring harvest in history. We all said that was nonsense because they suffer from drought in their main grain-growing uh, region in the northeast, north of Beijing. But today, they are now saying that they believe that farmers within China, this is their rationale for why the supplies are not increasing, that 
Farmers in China are hoarding grain because they perceive that there will be a problem in the future. Perhaps it's just that they don't like the state's prices, but I think there is definitely something more at work here, Steve. As we watch, the farmers, the farmers over in the farmers in China are very practical people, like farmers here in the United States. Lao Beijing, or you know, the Lao Beijing are, are farmers. That's the farmers are all Lao Beijing, old hundred names, the common people. They understand. Everything the CCP says is a lie. You know, Miles made fun of him and said, bumper harvest. That's what Beijing would do. Oh, bumper harvest. It's all a lie. You see, right now they're stocking away their grain because they understand bad times are coming. And so this goes with everything they've told us. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, their, their lies just continue to, to increase. Their propaganda war increases. And uh, I'm finally glad the United States is, is hitting back on uh, on all aspects of this. Raheem, speaking of the propaganda war, I was absolutely stunned when you guys sent me last night in the middle of the night this BBC story about hydroxy about hydroxychloroquine. Uh, to, uh, the BBC looks like in the and the British doctors looks like they're getting uh they they're getting they're becoming part of the this uh, crusade that we're putting together to get this approved. Yeah, Steve, and I wonder if the big tech firms will start removing this BBC article from their websites as they've removed and censored other pro-hydroxychloroquine articles, memes, tweets, and so forth. The headline of the BBC article that popped last night, hydroxychloroquine being, quote, discarded prematurely, end quote, says scientists and the scientists that they're quoting here specifically is a gentleman called professor nick white now professor nick white has been involved in an oxford university led trial uh around four forty thousand frontline workers around the world have been trying to take part in this frontline trial uh, about hydroxychloroquine a large-scale double-blized randomized study and while professor white does say that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work in the treatment of hospitalized patients he also says it's still a medicine that may prove beneficial in preventing covid19 they go on in this article to talk about the politicization um, of hydroxychloroquine and the rationale behind that uh, especially president trump and president jair bolsonaro professor white saying quote i don't think there's been a more politicized and controversial medicine than hydroxychloroquine but i just want to walk the audience through a little bit here who uh, professor white is professor white is is uh, in his late 60s he's been around for a very long time worked at guys medical school in at king's college at the radcliffe infirmary in oxford has taken part in a scientific collaboration between oxford university's research unit and the faculty of mahidol university in thailand or thailand as we learned it was called yesterday the nuffield department of medicine at the university of oxford he has studied malaria melodiosis typhoid fever tetanus dengue fever uh, and outbreaks of and tropical outbreaks of influenza and t- as if that wasn't enough Professor uh, Nicholas White was also given the Order of the British Empire, the OBE, in 1999. He was awarded the GlaxoSmithKline Prize in 2005, a Fellow of the Royal Society in 2006, and so on and so forth. This isn't a crank. This isn't a kook. This is somebody with a track history, a serious record, who is saying we may have prematurely uh, ruled out hydroxychloroquine, Jack. And it's not just him. It's Sir Jeremy Farrar of the Wellcome Trust has said the same thing. We've also got another doctor named Dr. Will Schilling who came out very strongly and said we don't know if hydroxychloroquine works or not in the pretension of very early treatment. That question remains unanswered. 
And he is actually one of the people who sits on the National Coronavirus uh, Council for for Great Britain. Now, what we've seen with this kind of problem around the world, we remember with those two Lancet studies that were shown to be fraudulent, the World Health Organization ended almost 40 studies on hydroxychloroquine around the world. Those studies can't be brought back. They can't be restarted. And if these guys suffer the same fate because of the politicization of this and the constant commentary by both sides of the aisle concerning hydroxychloroquine, it would be a real disaster, not just for the fight against this disease, but a disaster for science. Look, this is why we're having the town hall tomorrow, and we're going to continue on this. We've got people from India, from Great Britain, uh, for next week's shows that we're going to be booking uh, government officials, senior. This is a hill that we're going to die on because I got to tell you, if you don't get this out as a as a as a preventative therapeutic pre-hospitalization, along with that liability bill, I don't know how we rationally. You talk about evidence-based, science-based, data-based. I don't know how you rationally start to open up the schools and the economy like it should be to get America back to where we were before the CCP uh, hit us with this virus. Uh, let's talk about tomorrow's. I think we got a minute or so left, guys. I want to make sure everybody gets their questions. We've been inundated with questions. We want more. Hashtag war and pandemic, the live stream. Remember, you're changing the world. The reason this tech stuff's happening, the reason this confrontation with CCP is happening, the reason so much positive things are happening around is because people are hearing your voice. Everybody asks us what you can do. Get engaged. Go to work. One of the ways you can work is give us a great question. Give us something that we can ask these tremendous people. We have Dr. Rich uh, tomorrow, Dr. Yan, Dr. Vliet, Senator Johnson, uh, a whole host, uh, it, it, a whole host of great uh, physicians, great doctors that are going to come on and answer your questions. We're having a national town hall, and we're doing it to drive the conversation forward. We think it's stagnated under the mainstream media, and we know the deplorables are not going to settle for that. Yeah, that's right, Stephen. Here's what you've got to do, guys. See that graphic on your screens right now. If you're not watching this on video, you're missing out. The graphic on the screen is the case for hydroxy. We're going to make sure we put that all over social media. Uh, over the course of today, we need you guys to take action, to spread that far and wide. Let people know what's going on tomorrow on hashtag war and pandemic and get your questions in now. Hashtag war and pandemic. Hashtag war and town hall. If this is a raving success, Steve and the team are going to uh, let us do more of them. So uh, we, we want as many people to participate as possible. We're going to go to a quick break now, pay some bills here in the war room. Jack Maxey, Stephen K. Bannon, Raheem Kassam return with more. Make sure you're signed up to the newsletter, pandemic.warroom.org. You get all the show notes there on the site. You can share every article that's relevant, whether it's Kyle or the team, Vish, putting all those together, pandemic.warroom.org. We'll be right back. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Well, 2020 has been a gut punch to American business, and if you're going to succeed, you need every possible advantage. You need NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. Smart companies run on NetSuite, sponsor of this show, because NetSuite gives you the visibility and control of your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, 
and more. Everything you need all in one place. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. You'll have the agility to compete with anyone from anywhere and run your whole company right from your phone. So join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. NetSuite actually surveyed hundreds of business leaders and assembled a playbook of top strategies that they're using as America reopens for business. So get your free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now, and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash Bannon. That's a free guide and a free product tour at netsuite.com slash Bannon. You're back in the war room, Jack Maxey, Raheem Kassam. Over to Stephen K. Bannon. Yeah, listen, the reason that uh, trading desks throughout the world, the reason that uh, the producers of uh, all the political TV shows uh, in the Chinese Communist Party, and particularly their intelligence branch, the reason they watch this show every day is we always try to stay ahead of the curve to give you tomorrow's news today and to separate out the signal from the noise. You know, in the first segment, we had Larry Lindsay talking about this economic inferno we're coming, we're coming through. The numbers today and the jobs numbers were strong. But President Trump's, I think, got to understand one basic thing. It doesn't behoove us to send Mnuchin and Meadows back up to Capitol Hill for the simple reason is Nancy Pelosi is trying to bleed you out, right? She's rope-a-doping right now. I think that needs dramatic action. you got to come up with some other alternative to try to break the logjam. And so I know the guys over at the White House uh, are working on a number of different alternatives. And I think, as Larry Lindsay said, I think now's the time to strike and to try to get some of these things rolling because Nancy Pelosi is just looking at August as a time to draw this out. And I think you've seen this. I, I don't even think it's negotiation in good faith. Uh, I think they've got a position over $3 trillion, a grab bag of things that they want in there. They're not prepared to budge. You haven't heard anything about them budging at all. And to me, they're not dealing with the central thing we have to, besides the economics of replacing aggregate demand, is this question of liability. And remember, we're populist, but we, we you have to have a rational understanding of how business works and where the liabilities are going to come from, I think. Before you, before you start really opening up the economy and we get back to the America that we had before the CCP lied and, uh, and basically exacerbated the release of this virus in, uh, as, as uh, Dr. Yan says from the Hong Kong lab, a man-enhanced virus uh, exacerbated its spread throughout the world. This is one of the reasons that we're so focused on hydroxy. This is something that to us, remember, there's no Republican or Democrat on your death certificate. There's no uh, progressive or right winger, right? You're just dead. And this is what we're trying to do is help American citizens uh, to decrease this horrific uh, number. We're at a thousand a day. Barron's is telling us guys, we're at 2000 a day. So before we bring Dave Ramaswamy and talk about hydroxy in India, and also about the tech war that the president is now standing up to the Chinese Communist Party about this technology war, I want to go to this death count. Is it a thousand a day, Jack Maxey? Or is it 2000 a day? Barron's is telling me it's 2000 a day. It's a blaring headline on Drudge. Uh, what's the truth here? Are we losing? By, by the way, it's horrific enough. We're losing a thousand. But why did it increase, according to Barons, to two thousand? Uh, Steve, I'm not really sure where Barons got that number. It's not supported by like New York Times, Washington Post, Hopkins. Very oftentimes, you'll get two days numbers will be crunched together in some sort of reporting. But what most people are saying that we're losing about a one thousand forty overnight uh, and we're losing over a thousand a day this is is no joke uh, certainly where it's occurring around the country is much more widespread than when it was a few months ago when we saw concentrated in the Northeast but I will say that as we look at the seven-day trends we are starting to see a decline in positivity 
We are starting to see a decline in hospitalization. Uh, we have seen an increase in deaths, but this really, the, the number of deaths really is two weeks behind the actual testing, right? So we've sort of passed over the peak of uh, what it seems to, to be the newer infections are starting to decline in many states. But obviously, we've got a real problem, and uh, the problem has been the same one that it's been since day one, which is really our most vulnerable are the most affected. And there were some very interesting stats that came so let, me, let, let, let me ask you guys, because Dr. Burks had this idea of target interventions. Right now, Raheem and Jack, in the audience, we want the audience to, uh, to, to get in here and give us your comments and your thoughts. What is the daily messaging you're seeing from the White House of exactly where we stand? What, what, where, where do you think when, when people, and particularly low-information voters, and maybe people are not engaged in politics, when they look to the White House of where we actually are in this pandemic and what I think is the, sec the first wave surge? And, and one thing we should note, all the experts were wrong on this about the summer. Remember, this virus is shown it's impervious to heat and humidity. All the great thinkers, you go back in the, in, in the show back in uh, April and May, this is one of the things that all the top guys at CDC, you know, Fauci, Fauci's on the record a couple of times, say it's going to go away during the summer. It turned out it's impervious to that. we got to get an answer for that. The answer for that lies in Wuhan. The answer to that is being uh, hidden by the Chinese Communist Party. And Dr. Tedros is not going to get to the bottom of this. This is what's so frustrating. We're losing 1,000 Americans a day. And I understand what thirty or forty percent of them are elderly, Jack. Yes. But we're still—they're they're still the greatest generation. Last time, last time I looked, the people that had the guts to end the war in the Pacific that we talked about yesterday, the seventy-fifth anniversary of Hiroshima, uh, are the people that are dying now. And I don't want to hear all these libertarians. I don't want to hear all this stuff. Other oh, just old people. Okay. If we can't protect our elderly, if we can't protect the greatest generation, then we're not a country anymore. We're not the America we used to be, right? So that's why this has got to be focused, focus, focus, action, action, action. Guys, I want to put it back to you. Where do you think we stand right now as far as the overall messaging of where this, or where this really is so that people understand, hey, I can see my way through here? Yeah, Steve, I, I want to jump in there because I think you're right to point that out, that not just is it being hidden, uh, the origin of this virus in, in Wuhan by the Chinese Communist Party being hidden by the World Health Organization, but also I, I would say that Western nations, my own in the United Kingdom and the, indeed the United States as well, really not doing enough to force the issue, to force the issue that, hey, we want that data, we're going to come and get that data um, because it's still killing thousands of people day on day. Now, the Barron's report that you speak about the, it's actually an Agence France Press report, which is all of about 50 words long. The giveaway is in the use of the word real-time tally. They're using the real-time tally. Now, what the real-time tally does is sometimes it adds the data at 5 p.m. and sometimes it adds the data at 11 a.m. So what seems to have happened here is they've combined a 24-hour period that has included two reporting periods uh, and combined that as one 24-hour period. That's not how it works. But as you say, that's not an excuse. A thousand deaths a day is still a terrible thing. Now, uh, my perspective on this, when I watch these press conferences, when I watch the uh, president get up there and, and, and the experts talking every day, is that, no, we're not clear. It's still not clear enough what the government is doing, what the federal government is doing to back up what it claimed would be targeted interventions when you started to get the fires what president trump calls the the embers flaring up it's still not clear i want to hear from jack on that 
Well, one of the things that the Trump administration said recently that their guidance for opening up is going to be 14 days of declining infections, right? This idea that you've had two weeks of things going down. Now, one thing that's notable, a lot of states that we were talking about being disasters just a week or two ago have actually met that 14-day decline. Uh, Some examples, Florida, Arizona, Louisiana, California. Now, California, there's a little bit of a question mark right now because Gavin Newsom came out yesterday and, and started to talk about how things are declining. But then there are apparatchiks within the health system in California that raise this red flag and say, oh, no, uh, our, our numbers aren't good because our reporting is messed up. So these, we've seen this problem all across the world, this lack of coordination at both the state and the federal number in terms of getting the proper numbers. That's why when you look at the CDC weekly numbers, they often have these crazy spikes in them. And it's one of the reasons why I think many of the observers of this have gone to a sort of three-day or seven-day moving average to sort of define what is going on, because that levels out the problems with reporting that we're getting from the states. But in general, I would say that we're moving in the right direction. One thing that I've been very happy that the president has done the last couple weeks, hopefully because of your suggestion, which is to really concentrate on the data. And on a tragic level, Steve, you talk about the elderly being hit hardest. There's a fantastic study that they just did of the county of Sacramento in California. And when you look through it, it's, it's almost incredible. Of 155 dead, 79 or 80 plus, 27 or 70 plus, 22 or 60 plus, only 12 people under 50 have died in the entire county. And my suspicion is that a lot of those people had serious underlying uh, conditions. One thing, if I may just add one more thing that I find a little bit strange. When you go to the CDC website, they will give you a pediatric uh, analysis for all sorts of other diseases, you know, measles, influenza, what have you. But they've sort of aggregated the numbers for people under 25. So I really think they owe it to us to give us clear numbers of what has happened to school-age children during this pandemic because the numbers are very, very small compared to the 159,000 dead. And I think it would encourage this, us this, to open. This is why I, I advocate Yeah, I advocate that, that strongly that instead of having the president go down and doing these press briefings and the thing that what he does is, is have Fauci and Redfield and Burks uh, come in and brief him every day and let the media see that, let him get these reports, let him ask for more, for better data, you know, for better science, for, for better uh, for better evidence, right? Can, can continue to put the pressure on him. You know, Dr. Burks is now going through her struggle session. The mainstream media has turned on her with a vengeance, right? It started with that, that uh, New York Times story, the Maggie Haberman story, mm. about she was the one responsible uh, for the miscalculations in the in the spring. I don't know if that's totally accurate or not, uh, but, uh, you know, she's going through her struggle session in the mainstream media. But I think it's for the team around him and particularly Dr. Fauci. If Do- Dr. Fauci should be talking to the president every day and not to the media. And he should be talking to the president in the Oval Office and giving him updates and reports. Look, one of the reasons we're so maniacally focused on hydroxy is that to us, it's pretty evident. It's pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward. Some of the best minds in the world as a preventative and a prophylactic. We're not talking about late stage hospitalizations we're talking about as a preventative and a prophylactic it's pretty straightforward 
Guys, let's bring in Dave Ramaswamy. Well, Steve, Obviously, Steve, the show's going to get backed up a little bit. Yeah, before you do, you've got we've got about ninety seconds left here. Yeah. So I imagine the imagine we we'll, we'll be bringing in Dave Ramaswamy and then bringing him straight back out. So maybe we should just hold Dave for the next. Well, segment. I tell you, yeah, let's bring him in the next segment if he can hold over. Hey, guys, one thing I want to do here is want to get more questions. Hashtag War and Pandemic for the National Town Hall. I would also like the posse out there in the live stream and the posse at hashtag War and Pandemic. If you can give us, they've sanctioned Carrie Lam today, and they've indicated they're going to sanction other people in the Chinese Communist Party. We understand we have a huge audience in mainland China, a huge audience of Chinese Americans and, and Australia, Canadians throughout the world. We like your recommendations. Who should the United States government sanction? Just let's pick one thing, because of Hong Kong. Because of the actions in Hong Kong, we've now, uh, there's leaked out from the administration, going to be Carrie Lam. I'd like to know what the... Uh, what the audience thinks. I'd like to know what the deplorables think. Who else in the Chinese Communist Party chain of command should be sanctioned by the United States for actions only related to Hong Kong? Raheem, Jack, back to you guys. Well, the hashtag, ladies and gentlemen, is, is hashtag War Room Pandemic. You can reach us on Parler and on Twitter and uh, hashtag War Room Town Hall to get your questions in for the case for Hydroxy Special that will be airing tomorrow featuring all these fantastic doctors who have come forward, um, stepped into the breach and said, hey, something ain't right here. The latest information we're getting out of the United Kingdom as we discussed in this hour, Professor Nicholas White saying we may have gone too early in ne uh, neglecting hydroxychloroquine. We'll get more of that after this break with Dave Ramaswamy. Stay tuned. With Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to the War Room. In the next uh, in the next hour, we'll be discussing these two things that I'm holding up on screen right now, and everything that's related to them. These are the two executive orders that came out last night. The executive order on addressing the threat posed by TikTok, and the executive order on addressing the threat posed by WeChat. I want to throw it over to now Jack Maxey to bring in Dave Ramaswamy and Stephen K. Bannon to discuss the uh, keep discussing on the hydroxychloroquine topic. Hey, 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 hey Jack, right, right as we bring in Dave Ramaswamy, I want the audience to know this is because of you, because of your efforts to get in back of this. The President of the United States really dropping the hammer now across the board on uh, on on the Chinese Communist Party's technology infiltration into American society. This is a inflection point ladies and gentlemen we're going to get back into we're going to get into the details with Raheem and Dave Ramaswamy in the next hour but trust me this is an important inflection point in this war the Chinese Communist Party's had against its own people and free people throughout the world and I got to tell you it's a it's a huge huge day and a huge compliment to this audience hashtag war and pandemic uh, the live stream all of it uh, on the podcast We've talked about this for months and months and months, and now it's coming to fruition. Also, the Wall Street Journal had this report uh, yesterday about, yes, guess what? We're going to start delisting these Chinese companies. Now, the report was they're going to give them three years to get their financial accounting correct. Obviously, with more pressure, we'll get that down to something reasonable. But like, hey, how about six months? So everything's moving in the direction of action, action, action is because of this audience. Jack, bring in our guest, the brilliant Dave Ramaswamy, who months ago talked about hydroxy months ago, talked about what India was doing, and months and months and months ago warned the American people about this, uh, about the intrusion of uh, 
Chinese technology into your daily life. Jack, back to you. As always, we're super psyched to have on Dave Ramaswamy. And uh, to add what Steve said, one of the things that to me was so amazing about India's move on TikTok and these various other apps that are controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, this was a little revolution that started in India, not at the top level of Modi. It started at the ground level of the street, deplorable Indians who decided that they were Amen. quitting companies Amen. that were run by Chinese communists. They started it. And I want to see that same kind of power move by the deplorables here in America. We have to understand the power that we have, just like those Indian delivery guys. And they were asked by the reporter, why are you guys burning your shirts, quitting your jobs? You know, because this is a tough time. They said, we are willing to starve for our country. But we are not willing to compromise our morals and serve the Communist Party of China. This is what real courage is like, and it starts with you, ladies and gentlemen. Dave Ramaswamy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Raheem. Always a pleasure to be on. Dave, take us away here. Yeah. Yeah, why don't, we, why don't we talk about the hydroxy part of it first? You know, India was India's had, uh, I think, done a terrific job in trying to manage this pan, this CCP virus. Walk us through. We're going to try to get some officials from India. We can't get them on the town hall tomorrow, but try to get them on next week. Walk us through where, where India stands about hydroxy. You know, Steve, uh, India early on, the Indian Council of Medical Research was the equivalent of the NIH in India uh, very early on, this is in the middle of March, put out an advisory recommending all frontline workers and healthcare workers to begin taking uh, a hydroxychloroquine prophylactically. And this was because of the NIH papers from 2005, other studies which uh, had shown that in vitro, that both in the lab as well as in the hold, field. Hold it, Dave, Dave, just remember, just remember, that's a Dr. Fauci. NIH study from 2005. Am I not correct in that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right. It's on the NIH website even still. So the point was, uh, based on the past, and Dr. Yan mentioned this, the SARS-CoV-2 shares 80% of the genome with SARS-CoV-1. So based on like studies in the lab and also in the field, and, and Jack has been one of the leaders on this as well, like hydroxychloroquine has been used around the world for 75 years and very safely and in at least 80 countries it's available over the counter so uh, this this whole issue became politicized only this year so back to india so india suggested hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic for all healthcare and frontline workers beginning in march and they expanded it in may going against the who going against the lancet lancet studies which in retrospect turned out to be bogus so uh the i mean india has kept its death kit uh what i call the death count per million to one of the lowest in the world while in western europe and in the americas we have death counts per million you know between 300 and 500 per million in india it's only about 30 and hydroxychloroquine was absolutely key to keep uh the infections and death rate so low until recently steve india with a population of 1.3 billion had fewer deaths than the state of new york with a population of 20 million so that tells you everything steve you got two minutes sir. jack go ahead yeah dave i completely agree yeah, uh, listen 
agree with you on the, we made the, the the notion of the comparison between New York and India the other day. I mean, you know, New York and New Jersey are really like an anchor around the, the throat of the U.S. statistics as well. If you remove them, we're one of the best performing countries in the world. But, uh, yeah, I think India is really a miracle. And there are other countries as well who have much lower death rates to us. Costa Rica, Israel, Russia, Turkey, Algeria, Morocco, Indonesia, Ukraine, Greece, and Cuba. Now, Cuba, Greece, Ukraine, Indonesia, Morocco, Algeria, they started, and India all started hydroxychloroquine from day one. These are not necessarily what we would compare as first-tier sort of medical systems uh, compared to the United States. So there has to be something at work here, and I don't think it would be the incompetence of American medicine, but perhaps it is the lack of hydroxychloroquine in the mix. No, Jack, let me add something, which is, uh, you know, in life, there are no certainties, only probabilities. And what this uh, whole episode has shown, and Dr. Yan mentioned this as, as well, you know, hydroxychloroquine, nobody's saying it's a cure, but what it does when administered early on within five days of symptom onset is dramatically reduce the viral load and, uh, you know, prevent the body from getting yeah. into what is this cytokine storm, which yeah. is this Dave. all over chronic inflammation. Dave. So, so, so that's what's key to remember. Dave. So what, what we're talking about is biological Dave, I hate to cut you off here, but uh, we're up against a hard break. Dave Ramaswamy there, principal at Indus Latin Ventures. Thank you so much for joining us here on War Room Pandemic. Jack Maxey, Stephen K. Bannon, Raheem Ghassam. Return in just a moment.